Well, good morning. That's all right. That was good. You tried. My name is Carlos. It's good to be here with all of you here in Sowerton. And good morning to everyone in Quakertown. I miss all of you. I look forward to seeing you guys next week. Now, we just started a new series last week, and we're calling it Summer of 2017, Get Busy Living. And we also gave you a homework assignment. I don't know if you remember that or if you guys forgot it or not. Uh, we gave you a homework assignment before we started this series. And what we want you to do is we want you to send us a postcard. We want you to, wherever you go on vacation or go somewhere during this summer, uh, whether it's down to the shore or up in the mountains or wherever it might be, going to another state, wh whatever it is, get a postcard, fill it out, and send it back to the Sargent campus. And what we're looking at doing is uh, we're going to probably try to show it up on the screens and show some of those postcards. Now, if you're in our Calvary Middle School or Calvary High School ministries, a postcard <laughs> is a rectangular piece of hard paper. <laughs> Has a picture on the front, on the back. You can write some stuff. It's kind of like a Facebook post or an Instagram post, except on paper. So... Make sure you do that, whether you're at your at amusement park, whether you're on the boardwalk, uh, wherever it is that you're at, uh, send us a postcard. But what we want you to understand is that when we say get busy living, it's not necessarily about going and uh, seeing the world or, or vacationing or anything like that. We just finished a series, if you were with us for the past month or so, uh, we just finished a series where we looked at a book called Second Timothy. And in that book, we learned some things about how we are to live. And we had these four letters that we kept repeating over and over, CWJS. We even handed out stickers that had CWJS on it, continuing what Jesus started. And so when we tell you to get busy living, we want you to understand that you are to continue what Jesus started wherever you're at, whether you're down at the shore, whether you're at up in the mountains, whether you're at home, whether you're at work, wherever you are, you are to continue what Jesus started. So as we talk about get busy living today, we're going to talk about the life that we are to be living and today we're going to talk about Get Busy Living, The United Life. So if you have a Bible, you can turn to the book of Ephesians. If you don't have a Bible, there are different ways that you can follow along. You can read the verses. They'll be up on the screens here. You can take out your phone or your tablet and go to the Bible app or the Bible Gateway app. Both are great apps for reading the Bible. Or you can take out one of the Bibles that we have here at Calvary Church. In Sowerton, we have them in the seat rack in front of you. You can take them there. In Quakertown, we have them on a cart right as you enter into the room. Uh, and so if you didn't grab one there, raise your hand and Usher will bring one to you. But whether you're in Sowerton or in Quakertown, if you don't own a Bible, take that Bible home. It's our gift to you. It's free. We believe that reading the Bible has the potential to impact your life. And so we want you to have a Bible. And if you've never read it and you're not sure how to do it, give us a call. We'd be more than happy to talk with you and help you do that. Well, we're going to be reading from Ephesians chapter 2. I'm going to start at verse 1. As for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins, in which you used to live when you followed the ways of this world and of the ruler of the kingdom of the air, the spirit who is now at work in those who are disobedient. All of us... All of us also lived among them at one time, gratifying the cravings of our flesh and following its desires and thoughts. Like the rest, we were by nature deserving of wrath. 
But because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ even when we were dead in transgressions. It is by grace you have been saved. And God raised us up with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus. In order that in the coming ages he might show the incomparable riches of his grace expressed in his kindness to us in Christ Jesus. For it is by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not from yourselves, it is the gift of God, not by works so that no one can boast. For we are God's handiwork, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. So there is a clear picture of before and after occurring here. There's a clear picture, like... Not to be stereotypical, but if you've ever seen those hair restoration things, you know, the before and the after, I don't, it's not that I'm looking at them or anything. I'm just saying. (laughs) There's a clear difference there in those pictures. In verses 1 through 3, we get a picture of life outside of Jesus. It is a life that is actually dead. It is a life that is rewarded with wrath. It is the life outside of Jesus. And then there's a word there. There's a word that says, but. And then verses 4 and 10, everything changes and swivels, and we see a life inside of Jesus. But we have to understand that life that we see in verses 1 to 3. You see, this life outside of Jesus is a result of sin. It's a result of rejecting God. And so all of us in this room, you, myself, all of us actually throughout the history of mankind can claim that picture for ourselves. We have claimed that picture because all of us have sinned. All of us, at one point or another, have rejected God. All of us. Except for one. And it is when we encounter that one, it is when we encounter Jesus, the only one who can claim perfection, it is when we encounter Jesus Christ that everything changes. But encounter is an interesting word. We use it a lot in church. You know, we, we, we kind of have these book studies, and they all center around encounter God. Or we have these music nights or these concerts, and their theme is encounter God. We even have these, these ministries that sometimes we call encounter. What does encounter actually mean? It's interesting when we look at the definition of encounter. The first definition is this. When you meet an adversary or enemy or engage in conflict with. The first definition of encounter is when you meet an adversary or enemy and engage in conflict with. The second definition of encounter is to come upon face to face. And there's a beauty in that definition of encounter. Because if we really examine it, that is actually the progression that has to happen when it comes to encountering Jesus. When we encounter Jesus, when we encounter Jesus for the first time, all of us, every single one of us, encounters Jesus as an enemy of God. We encounter Jesus as an enemy of God. And there is only a result, there are only two results that can happen from that encounter. There are only two options. Either we will leave that encounter continuing to be an enemy of God, or we will see Jesus for who he is. 
We will claim him as Savior. We will choose to follow him, and we will leave no longer an enemy of God, but a child of God. And so when we encounter God face to face, we do not approach him as an enemy. We will then approach him as his child. This is the progression for encounter. But what happens? How does this change occur? We approach and encounter Jesus as an enemy of God and we leave as a child of God. Yes, we see Jesus for who he is. We claim him as our savior. We claim him as God. We choose to follow him. But how does that change occur? How does that change occur from enemy of God to child of God? The answer is union with Christ. Union with Christ. You see, Christianity is not about trying to live our best life. Christianity is not about trying to be a good person. As good as it sounds, Christianity is not even about us trying to do what Jesus did. While those are the results, we do try to be like Jesus. Christianity is not about trying to be like Jesus. Because if it was about us trying to be like Jesus, the focus would be on our efforts and on our works. So what occurs? Christianity is so much more. If I run into the danger of asking God to forgive me and simply try to become a better person, simply try to become a better version of myself, I make a mistake. Because being in life united with Christ is so much more than that. In verses 4 to 5, there are three verbs that we should notice. And there's a lot in these three verbs. I could actually just spend the entire time just talking about this. But I'm actually not going to go into what they say or what they're about. I'm going to go into a grammar lesson in a moment. The three verbs are, we are made alive, raised up, and seated with him. Made alive, raised up, and seated with him. Tim Keller is a pastor in New York City. Uh, He's a preacher. And as he looked at this passage, and as he studied it, he, he noticed something. All three of those verbs have a Greek prefix attached to them. That Greek prefix is syn, S-Y-N, not S-I-N, S-Y-N. It's where we get the words synonymous or synchronized. Syn means in union with. So these things that are happening to us, these things that we're doing, are not something that, stuff that we are doing apart from Jesus. It's not something that we are doing now on our own efforts. What occurs here is as we get these descriptions, what we see is a life that is in union with Christ, completely together with Jesus. And what's amazing is what Keller notices is that these verbs are in the past tense. You see, so often we live lives looking forward to the time when we will be made new, when we have life, when whatever, whatever, whatever. But at the moment that we encounter Jesus and choose to follow him, we live a life united to Christ at that point. We live life now in union with Christ. And that is awesome. That is amazing. Paul, who wrote this letter of Ephesians, writes another letter. He writes it to the Galatians. And he words it in a different way in in the book of Galatians, but it's the same principle. In Galatians chapter 2... Verse 20, he says this. I have been crucified with Christ, and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. 
The life I now live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. This is the life united, but what does it mean that I am crucified with Christ? What does that mean? It means that God sees me as one who has already paid the penalty. It means that God sees me as one whose penalty has been paid. But I don't deserve to be seen that way. I mean, the reality is, is that I'm a screw-up. I mess up all the time. I messed up yesterday, just so you know. The day before that. Actually, this morning I messed up too. I mess up every day. I'm flawed. This is not my own righteousness that God sees as me paying the penalty. I am a flawed person. So how is it that God sees me as one who has had his penalty paid? It is because I have been crucified with Christ. My righteousness is not based off of my own actions. Even though I am flawed, even though I am one who struggles with a sinful nature, that is not who God sees. In fact, legally, in the eyes of God, in the eyes of his law, I am now righteous. Through no effort of my own but simply because I take on the righteousness of Jesus because I am united with Christ. It is not a righteousness that I earned. It is not a righteousness that I can do on my own account. It is a righteousness that is given to me because of grace. And so as I still struggle with a sinful nature, God sees me as his son. You see, this isn't about praying more. This isn't about going to church more. This isn't about reading your Bible more. You see, sometimes we come up with these thoughts that we can incrementally earn our way back to God. And so we're like, okay, I'll read some more of the Bible, or I'll pray a little bit more, or, or I'll go to church more. And so somehow each step of the way, I'm going to get myself closer to God. I'm going to get myself closer. It doesn't work that way. It's not like, okay, you know what? God and I, we were like this kind of turn around seeing things each other's way. We used to butt heads, but now I think we're getting better. We're getting in a better place. It's not, it doesn't work like that. It doesn't work like that. You're either dead or you're alive. You're either an enemy of God or you're a child of God. You either stand with a debt that you cannot pay back or you've claimed the payment that Jesus paid. There's no middle ground. It's not one or the other. It is one or the other. I was just checking. It is one or the other. There's no middle ground. And I have to understand that. I have to understand that. Because if I don't understand that, I tend to look at my own actions and my own behaviors. And Christianity is not about behavior modification. It's not about me getting the right behaviors. It's about me encountering Jesus and living a life in union with Christ. But I get it wrong so often. I get it wrong so often. You see, when I look at my own behaviors, I end up having one of two attitudes. Either I have an attitude of inferiority or I have an attitude of superiority. 
And here's how that works. When I have an attitude of inferiority, I, I kind of look at myself and, I, and, I, and I'm so upset and I'm like, I'm so messed up, I'm so messed up, I need to do this good thing, I need to do this good thing because I need to get back in God's good graces and I need to do this and I need to do that because I'm so messed up. But when I have an attitude of superiority, I look around at everyone else and I'm like, hey, I'm not that bad. I could be like this person. I'm pretty good. I'm a good person. I mean, I don't do what those people do, and I actually do what those other people don't do. So I'm a good person. So God, you do the right thing. And both of those attitudes are wrong. Both of those attitudes are wrong. Because when we look at that, when we look at those attitudes of inferiority, when we look at those attitudes of superiority, we have not fully grasped the change of heart that happens when we encounter Jesus and choose to follow him. You see, when we choose to follow Jesus, when we encounter Jesus, we see him for who he is. We see ourselves for who we are. And when we choose Jesus, when we claim him as our Savior, when we claim him as God, when we choose to follow him, we now have a life that we live in union with Christ. And everything changes, but I'm not simply talking about a change of behavior. What I'm talking about is a change in motivation. A change in motivation. My youngest son, Justice, is seven years old, but he's still the baby of the family. And he's small, and so I can pick him up, and I can hold him, and, and he's kind of a cuddle bug. It's, it's really cool. Well, the other day, in the morning, I'm sitting at the edge of my bed, and he runs into the room, and he climbs up onto my lap, and he gives me this big hug, this big hug. So I squeeze him back and give him a hug. He gives me this big smile, and he looks at me, and he says, Daddy, I love you. And I look at him, and I'm like, I love you too, buddy. Can I play on the PlayStation? <laughs> no. He gets off my lap and runs out of the room upset. The little con artist. Here's the deal. I know that my son loves me, and he knows that I love him. But that expression of love came with strings attached. About a week or so goes by, and he comes back into my room. Same kind of instance. I'm sitting at the edge of my bed. He runs up jumps into my lap and gives me a big hug. And I give him a hug back. And he gives me a big smile. He says, Daddy, I love you. And I'm like, buddy, I love you too. What do you need? <laughs> and he looks at me and says, I just love you. There's a difference. And the difference is motivation. What motivates my expressions of love to God, does it come with strings attached? What motivates me? Because if my motivation for expressing my love to God is focused on myself, then we go back to the superiority complexes. We go back to the inferiority complexes. And the problem with that is this, this is what happens when you live according to those complexes. When you have an inferiority complex, you live with fear and anxiety, wondering if that love of God will ever disappear. When you live with a superiority complex, you live with delusion and a lack of understanding. Comparing yourself to others. Puffing out your chest. 
and boasting. Both of them are wrong. Both of them are wrong. In Ephesians, if we go back to it, in chapter 2, verse 8, It says, for it is by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not from yourselves. It is the gift of God, not by works, so that no one can boast. Both that inferiority and superiority right there were saying, it's not about that. It is not about works. It is not about behavior modification. Then what is it about? What is the motivation? For we are God's handiwork, created in Christ Jesus to do good works which God prepared in advance for us to do. We are God's handiwork, created in Christ Jesus to do good works. What is the motivation for us to do good works? It is now our nature to do so. It is now our nature to do so. When we are united with Christ, we don't only take on his righteousness, we take on his nature. And so we do good works because it is, it is our, now our nature to do so. And when we do good works, it is not to point at ourselves. It is not to shine the spotlight on ourselves. No, but in verse 7, it says this. It says, In order that in the coming ages he might show the incomparable riches of his grace expressed in his kindness to us in Christ Jesus. The spotlight always has to show on God, not on ourselves. The spotlight always has to show on Jesus, not on ourselves. Our good works do not gain us grace. They proclaim grace. Our good works do not gain us grace. They proclaim grace. We cannot gain the united life through good works. Good works do not establish united life. They are evidence of the united life with Christ. So when we continue what Jesus started, when we continue his mission, it is not to point at ourselves and say, look at what we've done. It's not even to point at God and say, look, I'm doing what you want me to do. Maybe then you will love me. That is not what happens. We do it because we are united with Christ, and it is our very nature to do what he desires and what he has done. And that should bring you so much joy and excitement. That should bring you so much joy and excitement. And here's why. My identity in Christ is not determined by my actions. My identity in Christ is not determined by my behaviors. My identity in Christ is not even determined by how I feel. It's not even determined by when I feel like I am far from God, when I'm in a dark place, whatever terminology I want to use when I want to talk about how I am not close with God. When I feel that way, my identity in Christ is not determined by my feelings. It is determined by the way that God has extended grace to me, and now I live in union with Christ, and my nature is his. And so when God sees me, He sees me as his son. This God, the God of the universe, the God holier than we can ever understand, the God who is far bigger than we can ever grasp, this God who I approached initially as an enemy, the one who I declared war on, the one who I rebelled, now sees me as his son. And that love is not determined on how I act. It is secure 
And that should bring me joy, and that should bring me excitement. Because I do not try to earn his love or try to avoid losing that love, but my actions occur because I am secure in his love. See, this is the united life. This is what occurs. And so I am crucified with Christ. I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. And there's a beautiful picture of that that we see. There's a beautiful picture of that that we see in church traditions. We see it in the Bible. We, Jeff mentioned it earlier. We see this picture in that of baptism. In August, we're going to be having our next baptism service, and that picture of baptism is this illustration, this symbol of what we are exactly talking about. As we dip that person underneath the water, it symbolizes this death of the old self, and as they come out of the water, it symbolizes this new life united with Christ. And it is a beautiful picture And sometimes we try to make it more than it actually is. But it is a picture. It is a symbol. But if we don't understand the weight of that symbol, if we don't understand the weight of that picture, we miss something. Yes, it is a picture. Yes, it is a symbol. But it is a weighty picture. It is an important symbol. When I married my wife, it was an awesome day, and I can remember it like it was yesterday. I remember the door opening and I remember when she walked into the room and I remember the look on her eyes. I remember the smile on her face. There was such joy in her eyes and she also looked like she was about to cry. Don't tell her I said that. She walked down the aisle. I remember saying our vows. I remember my father officiating the wedding. And then I remember doing something right after we were married. And still up there in the front, as we were still in the same room, we did one action now as a married couple. We gave each other a gift. We gave each other a ring. She gave me a ring, and I put it on. And I gave her a ring, and she put it on. Why? Because this ring proclaimed to everyone what just happened. This ring proclaimed to everyone that I am no longer separate and on my own, but now I'm united to someone. It was a symbol and picture of that relationship. It was a symbol and picture of that covenant. It was an act of love to wear the ring so that everyone around us knew that we were now united. Two that have become one. Here's the deal. Before we put on those rings, we were married. The rings didn't establish the covenant. They just proclaimed it. The rings didn't establish the relationship. They just proclaimed it. We were already married. Here's the other deal. Let's say we decided we weren't going to have rings. No rings. Doing something new. Going to start a new trend. We would still be married. The ring itself does not determine that relationship. 
It proclaims it to everyone else. But understand this. While it doesn't determine the relationship, it is a beautiful picture of love that honors my wife when I wear it. Baptism does not determine the relationship you have with Jesus. It does not create that relationship. It does not create that bond. But it proclaims it to everyone who sees it. It proclaims it. It is an act of love that shows everyone that you live a life united with Christ. So if you haven't been baptized yet, and you are following Jesus, what are you waiting for? What are you waiting for? Proclaim to everyone this new life you have. Proclaim to everyone and and put on that picture and say, I am loved. And if you have been baptized, let your picture continue to show through your actions and through your words as you interact with those around you. You see, when we encounter Jesus, we encounter Jesus as an enemy of God. But when we choose to follow him, everything changes. And we now live a life in union with Christ. And so our motivation changes. Because it is our very nature to do good works. Not to point the spotlight at us. But to point it at Jesus. This week, let's point that spotlight at Jesus. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for your love. We thank you for your goodness and your mercy. Thank you for all that you have done for us. And Lord, we ask you that you would just help us as we go about in our lives and, and we struggle with the fact that we try to do things in a way that, if we were honest, creates some sort of ledger that we live with lives that, with an inferiority complex, that we go forward and we say, if I can only do so much that I will get out of this debt and then get a little bit ahead and then, God, you owe me. Or we live with this superiority complex and we, we say, God, look at me. Look at me compared to everyone else. God, you owe me. That is so wrong. Forgive us for that. We owe you, not, we owe you so much. You owe us nothing. Lord, I ask you that our motivations will be our very nature because we are united with Christ and then what we would do will be just done with a heart so filled with love and gratitude. Help us to shine that spotlight on Jesus. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.